Good morning, I'm Pastor Danny Deeth, and I want to invite you to this special summer worship celebration. Ready Vacation Bible School friends? One, two, three. Welcome to First Presbyterian Church. Yay! Today's first scripture is taken from the book of Acts, 16th chapter, verses 11 through 15. We set sail from Troas and took a straight course to Samothrace. The following day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city for some days. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate by the river where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had gathered there. A certain woman named Lydia, a worshiper of God, was listening to us as she was from the city of Thyatira and a dealer in purple cloth. The Lord opened her heart to listen eagerly to what was said by Paul. When she and her household were baptized, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, Come and stay at my home. And then she prevailed upon us. The word of the Lord. Continue on in Acts 16, picking up where Terry left off. 16, 16 through 40. It's a bit of a story here, so settle back. See in your mind's eye how the stories are transpiring. And let's Paulo, Paulo, follow Paul or Paulo fall and see what God has in store for him. Listen to the word of the Lord. One day, as we were going to a place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners a great deal of money by fortune-telling. While she followed Paul and us, she would cry out, "'These men are slaves of the Most High.'" who proclaimed to you a way of salvation. She kept doing this for many days. But Paul, very much annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I order you to come in the name of Jesus Christ and come out of her. And it came out of her that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. When they had brought them before the magistrates, they said, these men are disturbing our city. They are Jews and are advocating customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to adopt or observe. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates had them stripped of their clothing, ordered them to be beaten with rods. After they had given them a severe flogging, they threw them into prison and ordered the jailer to keep them securely. Following these instructions, he put them in the innermost cell and fastened their feet in stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was an earthquake, so violent that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately, 
all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer woke up and saw the prison doors wide open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself since he supposed that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted in a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. The jailer called for the lights and rushing in, fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them outside and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They answered, Believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. They spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in the house. In the same hour of the night, he took them and washed their wounds. Then he and his entire family were baptized without delay. He brought them up into the house and set food before them, and he and his entire household rejoiced that he had become a believer in God. When morning came, the magistrates sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported the message to Paul saying, the magistrates sent word to let you go, therefore come out and go in peace. But Paul replied, they have beaten us in public, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. And now they are going to discharge us in secret? Certainly not. Let them come and take us out themselves. Well, the police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them and took them out and asked them to leave the city. After leaving the prison, they went to Lydia's home. And when they had seen and encouraged the brothers and sisters there, they departed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So the sermon title, real quick, is an outline of chapter 16 of Acts that we just read from Lydia all the way through Paul and Silas moving on. All P words, an outline. So as you have been with us, we have been on the journey through the book of Acts through the summer. You have the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, then the very next book is the book of Acts. As we are responding, they were responding to the events that happened in the life, death, and life again of Jesus Christ. So we started with Pentecost, the giving of the Spirit, sent all those first disciples out, started churches, we saw Peter and John and James as they both healed and brought others along with them. We saw Saul's conversion to Paul. We saw the Ethiopian eunuch who Philip was sent to, who was unclean and unworthy to be a part of the covenant community or the temple. Then Paul being sent to the Gentiles. We've seen Cornelius and this struggle with Gentiles and Jews. Do you need to be Jews first before you become Christians? Last week we talked about Paul and Barnabas and their first missionary journey and how they started at Antioch, went up 
to a second Antioch and then came back around. It took them a couple of years as they were building and revisiting the work that they had done to try to establish these small worshiping communities. Paul and Barnabas in that first round, along with others. So here we are on Paul's second missionary journey. And he heads out in the beginning with Barnabas, who wants to bring John Mark along with them, who we think was the author of the Gospel of Mark. And Mark had taken off from the first journey and left them in their journey and went back home for some reason. We don't know why. So the second journey, Barnabas says, hey, John Mark, who was his cousin, wants to come along. And Paul says, no, he left the first time. I don't want him coming back. So Barnabas, Barnabas says, he don't go, I don't go. Paul says, okay, neither of you go. So they go off in a different way, in a different journey. And Paul brings on Silas and Timothy. Timothy that we'll hear later about uh, in the New Testament. So they begin their journey. And as we look at our chapter 16, it begins with a vision. They hadn't planned to go to Macedonia in that area. In other words, they, they didn't mean to go so far, but Paul has a vision from a man in Macedonia that says, come see me. I want to hear this news that you are proclaiming. And so Paul says, okay, we'll go. And in that region, they hit Philippi. Now, Philippi was where Paul would eventually write his New Testament book, Philippians, to the church there in Philippi. This is his encounter. So as they are there, Philippi doesn't yet have synagogues, no place which is where Paul usually started in these cities with the synagogues that would have been all over most of the major cities to start to preach about Christ and bring folks along through conversion. But no synagogue in Philippi. But there is a place of prayer outside of town by the river. So they literally went down by the river to pray, studying about that good old way. And there he meets Lydia. And Lydia is a great New Testament character. She is independent. She is on her own. She owns her own household. She is known for selling purple cloth, which in that day was the most expensive cloth and dye and the most difficult to procure. And so her clientele was an upper, not even 1% of people who could afford that. So she seemed to have her own business. Her house was large enough that she had people meeting there. And after Paul and Silas meet with her, she invites them to come and stay at her house. She's never mentioned in relation to a man or her husband, which again is unique. She seems to have all the pieces of a strong, successful, faithful person. And this is Paul's first encounter. Through her hospitality, she and Paul and Silas get to know one another, and she is seeking this word of God. So eventually Paul will welcome her in, baptize she and her household, and then they move on back into the city. So right away, there's a girl, a slave girl, who's got the spirit of divination, not God's Holy Spirit, just this ability to be able to tell the fortune, fortunes of others. 
And what does that do for her and her slave masters? Brings them money. People are paying for this girl to tell their futures, and she does so. And she is the only one outside of Lydia so far that knows who Paul and Silas are. She says, as they come into town, these are slaves of the Most High God. They are bringing you a way of salvation. Can't nail it any more clear than that. But Paul, after several days of this, gets annoyed, which is what Scripture uses, that word annoyed, and casts that spirit out of her. In the name of Jesus Christ, I call you to come out of her. And then it's gone. Well, who's not happy? Well, her slave masters who were making money off of her now cannot because that which was making money, Paul just called out of her, that spirit. So they bring Paul and Silas in front of a crowd. They bring in the magistrates. They beat them and throw them in jail. Put them in the centermost cell so it's even harder to get to them or break them out. Their feet are in stocks. They are trapped. They are beaten and bleeding. And Scripture said they were doing two things while they were in prison. They were singing and they were praying. Singing and praying. Hmm. I don't think their songs were happy jumping around, gospel, Jesus loves me, this I know, from about to write the Bible and tell everyone so. Thank you. But what the prayer would have done was to keep connected with God in that difficult moment. What those songs would have done would have reminded them that they are not alone, literally, in a dark and scary place bleeding and beat up. Sometimes we hum things that remind us of safe places. Sometimes when we're afraid, we will whistle or hum. Here they are singing the songs of God as they know through Scripture to remind them that they are not alone. This is a part of God's process and God's plan. Paul is gutsy. Paul's endurance and perseverance is legendary. If you remember last week on the first missionary journey, what happened to him there? Well, they tried to stone him to death. They thought he was dead and left him for dead outside of the city. Threw rocks at him until they thought he was dead. So he would have been bloodied and bleeding at that encounter. Again, this, was, this would have been several years in between. But now he's beaten again. But what's more important for him is to serve the path he's being called to. So they're in the prison, they're singing and they're praying and who's observing? The other prisoners around them who may not be so hopeful or who may not be connected with God and are wondering why are these people singing? Who are they praying to who is obviously let them alone and abandon them because they're here, they're beaten up, they're in prison. They're watching. And so at midnight, the big earthquake comes. How many people have been in an earthquake? Terrifying. 
I lived in California my last two years of high school. It was just in two little ones, but that's all I needed. Everything around you, everything is shaking. This was a teeny little one. Earthquakes are terrifying because you have, as in most natural disasters, no control. You don't know how long it's going to go. It can be severe. And this significant earthquake happens. Well, in the process, the doors are open, the prison gates, and their chains are broken. It said for all of them, not just for Paul and Silas. And so in rushes the jailer who's been charged with caring for them. If something happens to them, it's on him. He sees all the doors open and suppose it doesn't see them, thinks they're gone. He takes a sword and is about to kill himself because he figures he will be killed anyway because his charges escaped. And Paul says, no, 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 we're here. We're right here. So they stayed in the open cell. How many? Anybody? Not me. I'm out, buddy. I am gone. See the back of me in a cloud of dust through Main Street in Philippi. But Paul stays. Maybe he's visiting with the rest of the prisoners. Maybe he knows that the life of this guard is at risk and he doesn't want him to be punished for what happened to Paul and Silas. So when the jailer comes in, sees them there, he is overcome. It's very possible he was listening to them all night in their prayers, in their scriptures, in their songs, and has been listening with one ear open. And now clearly this is coming true. And he goes and falls at the feet of Paul and Silas and says, what must I do to be saved? The question we all ask at some time, if not varying points in our journey, what must I do to be saved? And they say, believe in Jesus Christ. Believe in Jesus Christ. So they share, they talk to him more about Christ. And at the end of that conversation, the jailer's family, then his whole household, he and his household are baptized and they rejoice because their father had been saved and Paul and Silas came to his family. So the last piece is that then morning comes and the police are sent by the magistrates who still think that they're in jail, Paul and Silas, and they say, let him go. The police come and say, you can go. And Paul says, oh no, certainly not. Look what they've done to us. We are Roman citizens. We should not have been beaten. We should not have been imprisoned. And they didn't know they were Roman citizens. And with that comes legal protection. A court trial. And the consequences are severe if you breach that etiquette, which the magistrates did, because they didn't know that they were Roman citizens, Paul and Silas. So the magistrates come and they sheepishly apologize and let him go. And the story ends as it began at Lydia's house. 
where they offer, she offers them again hospitality. They check in with her before Paul and Silas then move on. Whew. A lot going on in there. So for today, a couple of thoughts. When Paul and Silas found themselves imprisoned, what did they do? They sang and they prayed. We all find ourselves in difficult surroundings. We all find ourselves in difficult situations, we or others we love. And you don't necessarily need to sing as much as remind yourself that you are not alone. Remind yourself that God is still in control even though it looks like God has abandoned you. You will feel like that if you haven't already. You might today. You probably will again sometime in the future. But God does not leave you. And Paul and Silas knew that, which gave them the courage to sing and proclaim in the midst of these prisoners. The way that they act was observed by others and made a difference. The way that we act in difficult situations as Christians also makes a difference. So as we look at the terrible events of the last few days, 32 dead, over 50 wounded, and counting in these awful shootings. Gilroy, California, El Paso, Texas, Dayton, Ohio. Three separate events. How do we respond as Christians to such evil and darkness? Well, one, we remind ourselves that God still is in control as Paul and Silas did. We remember that even though we see horrible acts and brokenness in the world, that God's light is far stronger and that light will never be overcome by darkness. This is still God's world. John 16 says, you will suffer in this world. Puts it right out there. So remind yourself that even through this horrible event and act, that God is still alive and Christ and the Holy Spirit are still with us. And like it did with Paul and Silas, that should give you the strength to then reach out and share your hopedomism with other people, your hope and your optimism together. You share as a Christian in dark times. What else do we do, preacher? You mourn. We mourn with those who are mourning. We cry with those who are crying. We weep with those who are weeping. It was Christ's example as he showed that to us. We overcome these isolated events with the love grace and mercy of Jesus Christ as we share that with the world. When you see negativity, when you see evil, when you see terror, we step up and we show the world that that is not 
what is in control, that there is not more evil and brokenness in the world than there is love and God's light. But the world won't know that unless we show them. If every Christian did one or two acts to counter that evil and to show the love of Christ, that is several billion acts of grace and mercy that reminds the world that we are not spinning out of control, that God is still with us. We pray. We always pray. And we believe that it means something. And we believe that we are in connection with God when we pray. It is at one of the cores of our Christian journey. I know it's easy to just pray and feel like it just evaporates into the midst. But it's not. It is placing ourselves intentionally in the presence of, of our creator, redeemer, and sustainer. We share that time with God, what's on our hearts, for those who are suffering, and we give thanks. Prayer is central. We've already seen responses by some of the community and the nation. Where do we go to right away? Where have we gone already? Politics. People still struggling to hold on to their lives, and both sides already vying for the next vote to stir and rally their base. There's a story in Luke 13 about the Tower of Siloam. We know the Pool of Siloam as a healing pool, but there was a tower that fell and killed 18 people. And we know this because Jesus tells it. Jesus is saying to his disciples who come to him and say, first, uh, Pilate is messing with some Galileans and their blood and a sacrifice. And, and Jesus says, are they any more guilty than anybody else? Rhetorical answer, no. And then he says, were those, who were those 18 that were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell any less guilty than anyone else or more guilty in Jerusalem? No, was the answer. So right away, it dispels the myth that sin is connected to God's wrath. God does not punish us because we are sinful people. God sent Christ because we are sinful people to heal and repair us, to give us new life, not to punish us. Christ dispels us in his time through his words. They didn't deserve that, but it happened anyway. But what Christ was really focused on in this passage was the people. He said, did they, did they have a chance to repent? And when we hear repent, we, it's, it's kind of a loaded old school word that when we hear it, we just think, I've been bad, I've been wrong, I've got to get right with God, and I've got to turn back, and, and some of that is right. But more so, when Christ uses it here, it's almost a pleading that said they didn't have a chance for us to get to them. They didn't have a chance before they were killed in this tragedy for them to know my love for them, for them to know that they are a part of my kingdom and my community, and I want them to come home with me and us. 
So Jesus's response through the understanding of repentance to that tragedy, the death of the 18 who were killed when the tower fell on them, is to say, did they know my love? Were they shown my grace? And so as we move into our responses to what we see in these shootings, we have to be willing to try to take the word, the love, the grace, and the forgiveness and live it in a way that others can see it. If we are seeking to act out of compassion, being led by Christ, then even if we misstep, God is with us. There's a story about a young man who's learning to be a pilot, taking pilot's lessons. He's in one of his first couple of lessons, and the wise instructor with years and years of experience takes him up and says, okay, I need you to send it into a, a dive straight down, first or second lesson. I'd have been out right there. No, I'm good. I'll do something else. Thank you. Put it into a dive. So he does. Pushes it into a flat dive and the engine stalls. The instructor says nothing. The student figures out that this is some kind of test and he's going to have to figure this out on his own. So he, he takes a few breaths and he's able to correct and bring it back into a level safe position. And when he does that, he looks at his instructor and says, what are you doing? That could have killed us both. Don't you understand what just happened or almost happened? And the instructor said, there is no position that you can put this aircraft into that I cannot get it out of to save both of us. There is no position you can put this aircraft into that I cannot get us out of. And the man immediately put that in terms of his faith to say that no matter what nosedive we are in in our life, there is not one that Christ cannot pull us out of. And in this case, when we are reaching out to those in these tragic situations, which we need to, we need to be aware that no matter what we try and do, when we misstep, God can pull us right. Jesus wasn't concerned when that tower fell about finding the brick masons and suing them. Jesus didn't say to himself, those architects, those construction crew that put that tower together have to be stopped. We have to take steps to make sure this doesn't ensure. No, his was a bigger understanding of the bigger picture of life to say, I need to make sure that all know that they are loved and welcomed and I want them to come home. In these shootings, there are many reasons, there are many things that we look at. Is it gun control in and of itself? If we said, okay, we'll do 100% gun control would someone who is mentally unstable or temporarily overcome with evil find a way to hurt other people? Probably, but it still should be a part of the conversation. 
If we go to mental illness, is that the reason why some of these things happen? If we were to mandate that every American go monthly, if not weekly, to see a counselor and we open millions of institutions that will help our mentally uh, challenged community, will that ensure that this kind of thing never happens again? It won't, but it needs to be part of the conversation. Internet access to these hate groups that take over the minds of some people is the answer doing away with the internet? No, but somehow the conversation is in there. My point is we need to not let ourselves get so bogged down in the individual pieces that we forget that the reason for this is sin and the answer is Christ. It's not any one of these things, it is all of them, but it all comes down to sin. And how do we counter sin? We let people know that they are loved, welcomed, forgiven, and given new life in Christ. Now you go and you live and you live your faith. And you get into those areas that are important to you, whether we agree or disagree. Those areas that I mentioned before that there was no one reason, it was probably some of all of them, they need and demand our attention. And as Christians, we need to be involved with them. But the bigger picture is that many of those things are symptoms of our sinful state and what has happened to them as a result of things that are not their own doing. Still need to be dealt with. But we need to be Christ for them, the victims. And understand that there, again, is no one reason that these things continue to happen. Not to say you don't get in it to make sure that things don't continue in the future. We need to be involved politically in every realm as Christians. But Christ says it's about the life. It's about the person. Not so much about how they went wrong. So remember that as Paul and Silas were imprisoned, they prayed and they sang to remind themselves that God is with them and they world is not, their world is not out of control. Be strong enough that when you see tragedy, you counter it with good works serving Christ that others will know God's love. And you care about all the people involved. And we show this world why we are Christian. Christ was raised for all of us to reconcile us all. So with courage and compassion, let us go out into the world to continue to be the light of Christ. Hallelujah. Amen.